We are in a sermon series, and we're wrapping up a sermon series called um, Discipleship Series uh, about the joy of following Jesus, the joy of becoming a Jesus people. Now, I'm going to excuse myself because it's my first time using an iPad, and I have no idea how it works. There you go. <laughs> um, you know, first Sunday that we uh, did this series, we talked about the glory of discipleship, becoming a Jesus people. That next Sunday, we talked about the cost of being a follower of Jesus. Last Sunday, we talked about a false commitment, when our yes to Jesus is really a no. Today, we wrap up with the sermon and the topic being, how do we grow? How do we grow? How do we grow and be more like Jesus? Now, this is the mission, a big part of the mission of our church. You know, most people evaluate the success of a church based on four Bs. They call it four Bs. Budgets, how big is yours? Buildings, bottoms, how many people you have? And buzz, is there a electricity? I do love that we are growing but God does not judge our success or evaluate how many people are coming. I don't want to be a church known for how many people are coming. I want to be a church known for what kind of people are leaving. When their time is up, when after they had moved to another state, or after 50 years Jesus calls or Jesus comes, that person has become more and more like Jesus. That is the purpose of our lives, to become more like him. So today we're going to discuss how it is that we grow to become more like Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you so much for how you have blessed our church. I thank you for the volunteers, the prayer warriors, the contributors financially in ways that we don't even know. God, but this moment and right now, this church does not need me to speak. It needs me to be spoken through. Speak to us. Build us up in your name, we pray. Amen. It so happens that once in a while, things happen in anybody's life that stops you and they're embarrassing moments and they get you to start thinking about what in the world was I thinking? Or, starts, or you start to think about growth and being grow, or growing as a person. I remember actually just four weeks ago, super embarrassing. I was driving, I pull into a parking lot and it's sparsely populated with cars, barely any cars there. And I pull in, you know, and with the corner of my eye, I spotted a can of soda on the ground, far like away from the road. Without even thinking, I turned the wheel and I beeline for that can of soda on the ground. Why, you say? Because I wanted to crush it. And so I start driving that way. And after a while, you know, it just settles on you like, what are you thinking? And I'm thinking, you know, I'm a pastor. And then I realized, don't even start there. I'm a Christian. Don't even start there. I'm an adult. 
what is going on with me? Oh, my word. Ever happened to you? You did something. You're like, man, I, I've got some growing to do. I've got some growing to do. We're talking about change today. Are you a Christian who's been wondering if change is possible? Real change. Is that possible? Deep, seated change. Not just the kind of change, although that's important, when you go from a late person to a punctual person, but deeper. Is it possible for a Christian to have their desires change? Desires from loving yourself and your glory to a desire for the glory of God. Is it possible for your reactions to change? You know, the reacting you is always the real you. The planning you, the acting you, the one that writes the email carefully thinking it through, that could be you, that could not be the real you. But when somebody crosses you, when somebody doesn't give you credit for your idea, when somebody offends you, the reacting you, that, that's you. Can that person change? Can, is there real peace possible for Christians in storms? I know some of you are going through valleys. Is it possible for me not to be anxious? Or at least in moments of anxiety, turn my gaze to Jesus and be filled and reminded with peace once again. Is that possible? The answer is absolutely. Yes. I want to inspire you today for confidence. I want you to believe not in what you're able, but what God is able on the one side, we have this graphic, and we're going to answer today a, a simple equation, growth. Now, I want to ask you, what, what do you put on the right side or your left side for the equation? How, how do we grow? How do we change? How do we uh, have that peace? How do we change the reacting us to be more like Jesus? How, how do we do that? I'm going to give you six elements, but we're going to start out with four. Let's look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42. And it says simply this, the church, the first church, few days, or I don't know how many days, not more than a couple weeks, after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to the Father, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, four things. We're going to call them the gospel, God's word, prayer, and fellowship. But before I talk about these four things, there's two more things that are more subtle that I want to bring into the table, onto the table. We must consider first, and this is the first element that I'm going to share with you. It's not on the, on the screen, but I will get to this in just a moment. Consider, Mercy Church, that we are meant to become more like Jesus. The project is to become more like Jesus. The goal is to be more like Christ. So I want you to consider, well, what do we need to become more like Christ? I want to say it's a bit deeper than these four things. Let me give you an illustration I was thinking. Suppose I got serious about playing basketball. I don't know if you know, but I was a big baller back in the day. And I could have gone to the NBA, but decided to be a pastor and suppose I got serious about playing basketball. And there was a program that makes you better. 
Let's call it program A. And in program A, the goal is to make me the best basketball player I can be at the age of 32. Now, what do you think? Is that possible? Yes. I'm going to join this program, and I'm going to become the best basketball player that I can be. I still won't dunk. I'll probably have a few air balls here and there, but I can be the best player I can be. Here. Here's tape. Here's a coach. Here's a diet. Here's a regimen for how you play and practice. And after five years, Eugene, you could be the best basketball player that you can be. We're not saying if you're good. You can be. That's possible. But what if I told you there was a program B? Program A has you become the best basketball player that you can be. Program B that I can join and sign up has the goal that you will become like Michael B. Jordan. The 86-87 Michael Jordan. That's the season he averaged the most points per game at 37. Now all of you are like, no, Gene, not possible. You're not going to be like Michael Jordan. Never. Listen, you're too short. I mean, that's just to start with. You're never going to be. Let me ask you a question, church. In this Christian walk, are we in program A or program B? Are we called to be the best we can be or are we called to be more like Jesus? The Bible says, and let me read you a couple of verses. The Bible says this in Ephesians 5.1, therefore be imitators of God. Now if you don't know any better and you read this for the first time, I think you should have dropped the Bible and be like, I'm out. (laughs) Imitate God? That's what I'm called to be? How about this? In Colossians 1.28, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Okay. My little children, in Galatians 4.19, Paul writes, I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Let me read you one more. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. How good is that? Who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Mercy, church. The program we are in is not to be the best version of ourselves. The program we are in is to be the one true version of Jesus. And now, we're in the Michael Jordan program. And all of us right now should be like, Eugene, that's impossible. I'm out. I can't be like Jesus. I can't be growing like Jesus. And you're right. And we are up against where we need to be. We are up against the limits of psychological knowledge. We are up against what TED Talks can provide us. Because personal development is in the game of making you better you. But we are in the game of becoming more like Jesus. And how do you do that? You don't. Except. Except. Acts 1.8 makes growth possible. Because in Acts chapter 1.8, we read these words. You will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Mercy Church, all of these elements, reading the Bible, fellowship, prayer, the gospel, 
Bless our hearts and help our hearts become more like Jesus because the spirit of God's power is on it. And only and in so far that the Holy Spirit blesses these, puts, uh, puts his hand on these things, that we become more like Jesus. The Bible will not matter to you if the Holy Spirit doesn't put his power on it. Prayer meetings will be just a waste of time unless the Holy Spirit comes with his power. Fellowship, Christian community will be no better than a club, a social chess club after high school, unless the Holy Spirit clothes you, your heart, and your congregation, your community with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the good news is, he's here. The good news is, is he's in your life. The good news is that he loves you. The good news is he's for you. And when we talk about these four elements, please do not think for a moment that we're talking about here self-effort. We're asking God, bless these things. Use these things for my good. Because without your Holy Spirit, there will be very little profit. Let's begin. Point number one. A Christian that grows is a Christian who recognizes the gospel. I'm gonna give you four things that they did here, but we're gonna go one by one. The first thing notice is that they broke bread. Broke bread. Now there are two ways to read this. One way is that they actually were eating together. The church would bring their food together and they would eat together. And that's what it means for breaking bread. Except that breaking bread has a very significant word, significant uh, special meaning in the Bible. So the most commentators come away with saying that there it's speaking to communion, the Lord's Supper. And that the early church devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper. Now you might say, Eugene, so what are you saying, man? To grow, just gotta make sure I come to church first Sunday of the month and take communion? Break bread with the church? Yes, but more. That's the minimum. What I am saying, what this shows, what do we do when we break bread? What do we do when we take communion? We remember the Lord's death. The fact that this church committed itself, herself, to taking bread, breaking bread every day or every week, I, we don't know, it was often, reveals the fact that the church is committed to live in the reality of the gospel. Oh, they never moved on from Jesus dying for our sins. That never became the first grade that you graduate from. They lived in the shadow of the cross, always. They're committed to the gospel. Let me draw that inference for us. You want to be a growing Christian. You have to live in the reality of what God has done for you. You have to know how God loves you. You have to know how God forgives you. Here's why. Because we are called to live out the gospel logic in our life. Do you know what the gospel logic is? It's the order of events. 1 John 4.19 says this, gospel logic. We first, excuse me, we love because he first loved us. See, the only reason we're going to love 
And the way we can love is because God takes priority in his love for us. What this means is we could put on the screen a simple graphic. Mercy Church, we are blessed. And out of this blessing, we obey. This little chronology is all over the Bible. Let me read you Ephesians. Ephesians has six chapters. The first three chapters deal with the word blessed. That's where we're at. We have every blessing in the heavenly places. We are saved by grace. We are part of the family of God, Jew or Gentile alike. Blessed. First three chapters. Chapter four begins. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. We go from being blessed to now obeying. Let me read you Romans. Romans has 16 chapters. First 11 chapters deal with what you have in Christ, what he's achieved for you. Chapter 12 begins. You see the order? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. What mercies? The 11 chapters of mercies <laughs> prior to this. To present your body as a living sacrifice. Let me read you about Jesus. I love this about Jesus. He's talking to the rich young ruler in Mark 10. And the rich young ruler comes up and says, um, what, do you, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear filters, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, look at him, loved him. Did you notice that part? And then said, go and sell all your possessions. Jesus loved him and then said, go and obey. I wonder if this rich young ruler would have responded differently if he stood in that moment and understood that he's standing in the presence of the creator of the universe and he's loved. Jesus is looking at him with love. You might say, Gene, fancy, you chose New Testament passages or about the Old Testament. Oh, let's go to the Old Testament, just from memory. You remember when Israel is in slavery to Egypt, in captivity? And you remember how God appears to Moses in the burning bush? Do you know what I love and what I've noticed that God doesn't tell Moses? Moses, my people are suffering. Let me give you 10 commandments. Okay, Moses, you take these 10 commandments to them. They figure it all out. I'll come and redeem them. Mm -mm. God redeems them. And then I'm outside and I gives them the Ten Commandments. Mercy Church, the logic of the Christian life is the priority of God's love, grace, blessing before we even start. And then we respond with obedience. We respond following Jesus. This blessed to obey. You know why you can forgive? Because he's forgiven you. You know why I serve, or you and I serve? He served us. You know why we sacrifice? He sacrificed for us. Do you know why we love? Because he first loved us. Please recognize 
that the Christian logic is not just obey. This is possible. <laughs> I can sometimes stand up here. You're like, Eugene, what are you up to? Obeying God. Just obeying God. It's about obedience, duty. And Christian is just joyless. They forgot where God, what God has done for them. This is not the logic of the Christian. It's also not the logic of a Christian to just be blessed and have nothing. This is, <laughs> I don't want to make fun of anybody. A lot of our prayer meetings, we come together to just be blessed. Conferences just to be blessed. You're not meant to be the pond of God's love. You're meant to be living waters of God's love. God's love is not just meant to come to you. It means, it means to come through you for other neighbors. That's where we can be. And the logic of the Christian is not that I'm going to obey in order to be blessed. All this produces self-righteousness or condemnation. Let me tell you why this is so significant. If you live with this understanding, you are freed. The first one, I'm blessed, I'm loved, I'm everything, right? In Christ. You are freed to serve and follow Jesus. And oftentimes that in serving, we often have questions. What about me? Who's going to care about me? God, <laughs> you're blessed. Uh, Notice that in serving, oftentimes the, the thing that goes against us is our concepts of fairness. Well, I'm serving all the time. I'm following people all the time. I, I'm doing everything. Oh, do you know what God has done for you? Notice that this kind of logic gives us the ability to be compelled by God's love. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15, Paul writes, for Christ's love compels us. You gotta get that. What is Paul saying there? He's saying the reality that God loves me obliges me to live a life of loving others, preaching the gospel. I cannot respond in any other way. Oh, Christian, do you live in the reality of how much God loves you, how much God cares for you, how redeemed you are, how forgiven you are. And then our overwhelming response to that is a life of obedience. You know, Christians who know they're blessed are sweet. They're the kind of Christians you want to grab coffee with. They're kind of the Christians that have joy about their serving. Now, I want to say that in my life, I've been prone to one of those three alternatives. But I want to call you that we start with gospel reality. Preach the gospel to yourself. One of the most practical things you can do, Christian, in your walk with Jesus is to become articulate in the gospel. To the point that your soul, your mind, your heart gets it. You know, you start experiencing the love of God in your life. Oh, they broke bread all the time. They never got over Jesus loving them. Number two, we have the word of God. Number two, we have the word of God. You know, one of the most amazing things about Christianity 
is, is, is its rise in the Roman Empire. Think about this. Just, just stop with me and let's just do a little bit of history and sociology and whatever other discipline would apply. Christianity has these uneducated bunch of people, um, maybe 12, maybe 20, 120, we, you know, whatever the numbers can be. Jesus dies with absolute defeat. Messiahs do not die the way he died, okay? When Jesus died on Calvary, the Roman Empire wasn't aware. It didn't register a blip on the radar of Roman Empire. Nobody knew. He died a nobody's death, a criminal's death, okay? Except three days later, there's a little jerk in the foundations of the universe. And out came the champion Jesus. He spends 40 days. And then, after 40 days, he ascends to the Father. And as his disciples, 120 of them, uneducated, gather in a room, the Holy Spirit comes in power. And the church, in 30 years' time, spreads to take over the whole Roman Empire. Everywhere. Rome, you name the city, there is a thriving Christian community. I want to ask you, why? How did Christianity spread? Because we must recognize why it spread and how, uh, why it didn't, for what reasons it didn't spread. It didn't spread in 30 years' time because of legislation. This is an important lesson for Christians who want good laws. As citizens of heaven and United States, we want good laws. But when bad laws do happen, they do not hinder the march of the kingdom, the spread of the light. Christianity did not spread with the sword. Nobody came and said, hey, believe in Jesus, you're gonna die. Nobody. So why did it spread? Christianity did not spread because its philosophical system was so superior. Paul writes that to the Greeks, the crucified Christ is foolishness. You talk to people in the first century about Jesus and they're like, that's foolishness. It did not spread because the religious system was so beautiful. To the Greek, to the Hebrew, to the Jew, it's a stumbling block. It didn't spread because of education and it didn't spread because there was a promise of earthly wealth. Can you imagine being, um, preaching the gospel in the first century? And it's like, hey, Jesus died for you. There's a new way to have peace with God. Believe in him. And somebody raises their hand and says, uh, what happens to my stuff? And you say, look, you can have peace with God, but you're going to probably lose everything you have. And this person says, I'm all in. You're preaching the gospel to somebody, and you tell them everything about Jesus, and they say, hey, hey, what happens to my family relationships? Oh, you, you might lose relationship, those relationships forever. And this person says, I'm all in. From a human standpoint, naturally speaking, Christianity had nothing appealing. You were plundered. You lost your possessions. You lost your social standing. You lost your family. And you could lose your family. What's going on? And we read in Acts the reason. The reason is, is because of the power of the gospel. The power of the word. Let me read you some reasons. Acts 12, 24 says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. 
That's it. <laughs> the word of God is on the increase. It's being spread by Christians to Christians and to non-Christians. And everybody is increasing in their likeness to Jesus and multiplying. Look at Acts 6-7. And the word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Acts 16-5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith. And they increased in numbers daily. Why? Because there we know the word of God is increasing. So the church throughout all Judea and Samaria had peace. And was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Mercy Church. The word of God is capable to melt hearts, woo hearts, and win them over for Christ. There's nothing else that explains the explosion of Christian faith except the power of the word in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know those two ingredients? The word of God in the power of the spirit creates formation, changes. Have you ever read Genesis chapter one, verses one through three? I noticed this a few years ago. I love how Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 begins like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now we know God saying let there be light had something to do with the creation event. But have you noticed that the creation event had also something to do with the fact that the Spirit of God hovered. Where am I going? Is that our hearts, when enveloped by the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit, hear the Word of God. The Bible stops being information and becomes formation, becomes a created event. Oh, we need the Bible. Oh, how we need God's word. God blesses his word with the power of the Holy Spirit and change takes place. Mercy, let me ask you a couple practical questions. Do you read the Bible? Is your life characterized by a steady diet of God's word? Do you memorize the Bible? You know, memorizing the Bible is memorizing the mind of God. <laughs> I think there needs to be a discipline for every Christian. Memorize one verse a month, one verse in two months. As a family, start memorizing scripture. You will be surprised how many times the Holy Spirit will bring to memory from the Bible something you've memorized or sometimes something you forgot. So, do you memorize the Bible? Do you read scripture? Do you read it with intentionality? Number three, we have prayer. Prayer. Leonard Ravenhill says that he would rather be praying than to be the greatest preacher on earth. And I was like, what? <laughs> Why? And he says this. When you preach, you stand before man talking about God. But when you pray, you stand before God talking about man. Prayer grows us. Prayer is necessary for us. 
You can never be a growing Christian and, and remain a prayerless Christian. Prayer must be part of our lives. Something we do in prayer, just a couple of benefits, is that we become still. And only when we become still do we get to know who God is. In prayer, we get to repent of our sins. How crucial is that for our growth? And here's the thing. You can be honest with God. There's something really freeing about prayer in the presence of God. Is that you, can, you are completely known and you don't have to be afraid. You are completely known and you are loved. Mercy Church, do you pray? Do you pray scheduled prayers? Do you pray unscripted prayers? Do you pray long prayers? Do you pray micro prayers? Micro prayers like in an elevator before the meeting. God bless me. I have learned that God never ignores the prayers of his children. He heard you. Now what he decides to do, I know for a fact will be the best for me. But he never leaves a prayer ignored. Fourth is fellowship. This early church was given to fellowship. You know, I'll be honest here. I really love the United States of America. I came from Ukraine when I was nine years old. And, you know, you know what's going on over there. So I really, really love our country. It's just such a blessing. And one of our values that we have here is American individualism. You know what I'm talking about? You got it, bro. Figure it out. I love that. You know, I try to teach that to my kids. Figure it out. Learn. Nobody's going to make this, these decisions for you. Think with your head. You know, things like that. You got to be an individual. But there are limits to this value when it comes to the church. Oh, that value can be a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous trap for your soul. Our faith is meant to be personal. It is never individual. Our faith is to be personal. I got to have a relationship with God. I got to know him. I got to be growing with him. And nobody can do that for me. But there is danger when I say, well, that's all I need. And me and myself, the Holy Spirit, is all I need. Our faith is personal, but it is not individual. Have you been trying to grow without community? That means Christian, Christian people are part of your community. Oh, you need Christian community. You need the tangible influence of others. When you're surrounded by Christians, you hear their hopes, you hear their worship, you hear their testimonies. Do you notice how we need other Christians to be inspired, to be encouraged? That's a good thing. I love reading Christian biographies. Recently, I've been reading a book called 50 Influential Christians That Every Christian Should Know by Warren Wiersbe. Oh, it's been feeding me. I need other Christians. And the danger of, our, of American life is that you don't need anybody. Kinda, you don't. You can wall up. You can have your video games. You could have your Uber Eats. You, could, you don't need anybody except that your life and spiritual life is eroding by the day. Oh, you need the gifts of others. Some Christians say, you know, what, what, 
why do I need to go to church? I'll just pop in the sermon and go for a jog, knock out two birds with one stone, right? Sermon, being blessed by a sermon is being blessed by just one spiritual gift out of 20 plus. To nourish my soul, I don't just need one spiritual gift to be blessed by. I need every spiritual gift. You don't get certain spiritual gifts online. You don't. Community. You need others' prayers. You need the natural accountability that comes with community. Community. Have you noticed that commitment to things lasts longer in community? This is why, if you ever work out, I don't. But if you ever want to go work on a, to a gym, you try to find yourself a partner, right? Why? Because all of a sudden, my commitment to this gym lasts a little longer. It's kind of embarrassing to have these petty excuses that I can go to a gym because I didn't go to sleep on time. You know, it makes it last. Commitments to Scripture. Prayer, evangelism lasts longer in community. But it's not just what you need from the church. It's that the church needs you. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 16, notice these words, how we are to grow. And it says this, from whom the whole body, that's us, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So I just mumbled through that. You're like, dude, slow down. So let me read this carefully. When each part, you're the part, is working properly, only then the church grows. You've been gifted your life belongs in a Christian community. You know, I love Christmas lights. A couple more examples we could be wrapping up. You know, Christmas lights are those little things we put up in a couple months. Some of you won't because, you know, it's, you don't believe in it. And one of the things about Christmas lights is they used to have these lights, and they don't really have them anymore, where if one light bulb didn't work, what happened? The whole thing. I mean, isn't that, what is going on with our engineering, right? Like, we should fix that. Now they sell lights where it's like, if one doesn't work, all still work. Mm, that's an analogy for us. You are meant to serve and bless the church. And when you are not properly working, the church doesn't grow properly. When the light bulb doesn't work, all lights don't work. This is not about, you know, trying to get volunteers to sign up. No, 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 no. This is about growing as a body of Christ. Fellowship. Let me just end with, on this point for fellowship. Is this. Some of you, the most practical thing you can do is become rooted in your local church. That could be Mercy Church, that could be any other church. And what if you decided that Christian life and the life in the Christian community is gonna become my normal? From here on out, on Sundays, I'm not missing church. That's the minimum. And then you're gonna decide to live in community groups, in small groups, and serve, and so forth. Why? You will grow.
Now, as I wrap up, I want to end with something very, very important. I want to end with the sixth element. The first element is that all of these things must come in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then the four elements, gospel, God's word, prayer, and fellowship. But I want to end with one very, very important word. In verse 42, they devoted themselves. Do you know what devotion looks like? Uninterrupted commitment. Too many of, actually, how about all of us? Know what it's like to commit to some things that are good for me and will grow me for a time. We are on and off Christians. We are on and off with our spiritual disciplines. You know like that charger that is broken but you still didn't throw it out and you plug it into your phone and it starts to create the, like the battery that's charging, it's not charging, charging, charging. You you know what I mean? I don't know what sound it makes but it's like, you know, and it just starts to flash. Notice how an inconsistent charge doesn't charge the battery. What we need is to be devoted, to be consistent in application. We love to try things and stop things. Have we ever been at a place of discouragement and said, God, how come I'm not changing? How come I'm not growing to become more like you? And the answer is, we've never really devoted ourselves. I want to challenge everyone here today. What if for the next year, prayerfully, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you committed to these four things? Growing in your understanding of the gospel, praying, reading scripture, memorizing scripture, and being part of the Christian community for a year, and then forevermore, (laughs) you will grow. You will become more like Jesus and you will see Christ formed in you. You will not be a better version of you. You will be the true version of Christ. Let me pray for us. Jesus, what a miracle it is. Our sanctification. How glorious it is that you are growing us to become more like you, Jesus. The early church devoted themselves to prayer and fellowship and breaking bread and the word of God. And God, they were increasing and multiplying. And that is the promise for us. God, every single one of us wants to grow, wants to change, wants to become more like you. God, would you help us with our commitments? God, would you put your hand of blessing and anointing as we read the word, as we pray, as we gather in communities like this. Jesus, we wanna be more like you. It is our glorious, empowered invitation. And we thank you. We thank you, Jesus.